Hello, listeners. You don't know me yet, although some of you may, uh, but I'd just like to preface what you're about to hear by noting, as I will note later in this pr- presentation, uh, this is a pilot, um, and, uh, and it definitely has the trappings of a pilot. It's not, uh, it's not necessarily the shape that this particular show is going to take permanently. Um, it is absolutely experimental, and I am full of nerves as I, re- as I record it, so uh, I apologize for the rambling. And uh, I hope you'll come back next week. Matter of fact, you know what? Don't even listen to this. <laughs> Unless you're really brave. Uh, if anything, listen to episode two first. And then come back and listen to this one if you are curious. This is really just a placeholder. So, uh, that being said, with all the confidence in the world, enjoy! You're listening to the shortest-running weekly episodic sports entertainment podcast on the internet. This is the Writers Wrestling Podcast. Hello and welcome. My name is Jeff Heatherly. You might know me best from my work in the Camp Ho promotional video. But you might also know me from my other two podcasts, the Original Unoriginal Podcast and the show hosted by my good friend Mr. Nick Melton, a show on which I am quite often the co-host, Cinemantics. Uh, If you've come here from either of those two shows to see what this is going to be about... Um, you pretty much have a good idea of what you're in for, actually. However, if you're here as just a standard wrestling fan out looking for a podcast to listen to, uh, you kind of need some things explained to you. First, uh, I've been watching professional wrestling, sports entertainment, whatever you want to call it, for the past 13 years. Uh, When I started, I was watching, of course, both WWF and WCW. Of course, WCW is long since gone at this point. We just have WWE and TNA. Now, I'm going to go ahead and get this out of the way because I know that I might lose some listeners uh, when they realize this. I don't watch TNA. Uh, I don't mean this as an insult to TNA or to people who watch TNA. I'm just not interested. I don't I, uh, I wouldn't claim anything about the quality of that show, although things I've heard haven't spoke well of it. Let's just be completely frank about this. Um, I just don't really have an interest now. They've almost gotten me with you know acquiring certain talents, Mickey James especially, but the fact of the matter is I just, I'm not interested. I'd rather be watching Community and 30 Rock and The Office and Parks and Rec, uh, if that's all right with you. So there. But the point is, with, with regard to TNA, I, uh, well, I know there are is such a thing as an intelligent TNA fan out there, and if you are out there and you are listening, I apologize, but the fact of the matter is, your brethren, as viewers of TNA, will just say their rep- reputation precedes you. So I apologize but no TNA talk here. Or maybe, maybe some, you know, if we've got some talent jumping ship or we've got some sort of interesting event that affects the entire business as a, as a whole, that will be brought up here. But for the most part, this is a WWE-centric podcast. Um, so a little bit of uh, hist- history beyond the fact that, yeah, I've been watching it for 13 years. I was introduced uh, via playing um, the Super Nintendo ports of Super WrestleMania and WrestleMania the Arcade game when I was about 11 years old. Um, and from there, I was like, you know, what is this thing that this is based on? You know. Um, and then uh, he was a big fan of WCW and WWF. We watched some some television. We watched some old pay-per-view tapes. And I fell in love. And, of course, when you're 11 years old, you know, when you're watching this, you it's it's just, you know, the idea of, oh, these, these sort of larger-than-life characters, superheroes in a way, fighting it out every week with stories, sometimes told really well, sometimes not. The other beauty part of... 
of uh, being becoming a WWE fan, WWF fan, as it were, back in '98 and '99, was that was, as many people will note in today's culture, a very golden age for that uh, program. Uh, it was, you know, the heyday of people like Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock and the early nascent days of Triple H, and it was a very good time to be a wrestling fan. It was also that it was sort of a forbidden fruit. You know, it was a very risque show, and, and parents didn't want their kids watching it, which, as a guy who's always been a, been one to buck conventions, I've, uh, I jumped at the chance, so I was a big fan of that, and I've it's just stayed with me ever since. It's become this, you know, weekly thing I do. It's very relaxing. It's, uh, it's you know, it's, um... I'll, I'll be honest, I've been able to, and some would say, well, maybe it's because of the, the show. And maybe that's true sometimes, but the fact is, on a Friday night, if I turn on SmackDown, more often than not, I start to get a little sleepy. Perhaps a nap after the week of uh, various shenanigans I've gotten into. It's a nice feeling. It's nice to have this thing that I'm comfortable with, but it's something that I also love. I love this business. Not so much the, um, the shady backdoor dealings, and we all know there are quite a few. It's the fact that here is this... It's a. It's just. There's nothing else out there like it. This is an entertainment form that just nothing can match. This is, as I put it on uh, the most recent episode of my other podcast, the OUP. It's a combination of soap opera, ballet, and ultimate fighting. You can't find that anywhere else. You have, you know, you have actually, and and actually, I should say that's one thing that you're going to have to deal with as listeners of this show. Every now and again, I will refer to these people as actors. Because the fact is, this is an acted show. It's a stage show. It's a choreographed show. It's a dance. It's everything. It's in many ways everything but wrestling. I mean, it's. I mean, it is. I would say there is a, definitely a sport to it. There is. I mean, there is amazing athleticism on display every week. There's no disputing that. But it is a, a scripted show. Um, the dialogue is sometimes scripted, sometimes it's improvised. But that's not the point. The point is these are actors telling us a story, sometimes through dialogue, and sometimes through kicking each other's asses in a choreographed fashion. So it's just, there's nothing like it, and it's, it's one of the reasons why I love it. Now, I realize that if you're a common, you know, just everyday person, you hear me say that I'm a fan of WWE, you automatically want to deduct about 100 IQ points. And I can kind of understand that. Let's face it, you know, the, the stereotype of the wrestling fan is not a pleasant one. But I'm I'm discovering more and more that there are more people who watch this stuff the way I do. The, the, the catch-all phrase I tend to use when I'm talking to people about it is I watch it for the writing. And that's sort of ironic, but at the same time, it's absolutely true. When this show is at its best, it's amazing. When it's at its worst, it's just good old-fashioned kitsch entertainment. And as a fan of kitsch, as you might guess from my work on my other two podcasts... This, I mean, it's just, it's just absolutely right up my alley. So that's basically all you need to know. You're going to hear me. I'm going to mention some people's uh, names, like their real names from time to time, and, and I apologize if that offends anybody, but I will. You know, I, 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 there's something to be said. Maybe it's weird, and, 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 and maybe it is weird, but, you know, there's something to be said for the satisfaction of knowing that there's a man named Glenn Jacobs who plays the part of Kane. That there's a man named Mark Calloway who plays the part of The Undertaker. There's a man named Paul Levesque who plays the part of Triple H. These are amazing things. Like, this is... I... I'm a big movie guy, you know, and you'll guess also from the other two podcasts I do, I, I was a media studies major in college, and I'm very much into film and television, entertainment, theater, acting, I was an actor for a very long time, and I, I loved performing arts, and this is in, in a weird way an absolute performing art, and so I like to treat it as such, I treat it with, you know, I guess respect and dignity might be too lofty a concept, but it's it's something akin to that. 
So if you're here to listen to me put on this pessimistic idea where – I mean this is what the internet wrestling community has become. It's, it's a community of, of, of guilty until proven innocent instead of innocent until proven guilty. They go into a show like making fun of it and when and they're pleasantly surprised when it actually entertains them. And that's that's a really – sorry, it's a really shitty way to watch something. So I like to, I like to go into every – episode of WWE programming with an open mind and, and, and a wish and a hope that I'm going to be just utterly entertained and I more often than not get it. When I'm dissatisfied with what they do, it has a lot to do with the way I feel they're you know speaking to their audience or the way they're treating their performers. Because in many ways, another way I've come to describe this is that it's very similar to, you know, you're in high school and, you know, you go see a high school play and you see your friends in it. And, you know, they'll always toss in those inside jokes like, hey, that guy's the quarterback. He shouldn't be playing that part or something to that nature. When you watch this show and you get into this business as, as deeply as I've been in the, for the past 13 years, you come to know these people. Not personally and not some creepy stalker way. I mean, Twitter helps. But the point is this. You get to know these people. And they become your friends, your old-time friends. And you love to see what kind of shenanigans they're going to get into this week. It's 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 beyond standard scripted television because you know we always hear that these characters these people play are sort of an outlandish or extent or, or or cartoonish extension of their character of their real life character you know i mean we all know mike mizanin is not a complete prick but he plays a damn good one on television you know it's a good time it's a good time it's if you're if you're an acting fan i kind of feel like this show this show is almost a no-brainer but it's it's got to get past that veneer of you know you know, monster trucks and living with large breasts. Brr. you got to get past that. And when you do, what you find is I've been able to show a lot of people who would have never considered this is this amazing, just performed live stage show. And that's basically the way I treat this show. So what's going to happen with this podcast? Well, I've given it a 13-episode commitment, as you may have heard on the OUP if you're a listener of that show. Um, and I'm going to give for the next 13 weeks. I think this now is the best time to do it. We're coming right off the heels of the Royal Rumble, and the uh, 13th episode, I believe, will go up shortly after WrestleMania. So we're going to get like the biggest bulk of like the biggest things that happen in the WWE year. So I hope to have a lot of good things to talk about, and I hope, I hope that I'm able to uh, illustrate the way I watch it and the philosophies that I put into my viewing of it uh, through the way I discuss it. Now, I apologize for the rambling and sort of stuttery nature of this. As I said, it's the it's the first episode, and I'm a bit nervous. I've been, like I said, I've been doing podcasting for almost four years now, and it's very, it's still very nerve wracking and still very um, unnerving, especially doing flying solo. I, my other two shows, I I never go without co-hosts, and this is the first time I've done a solo show since the pilot of my first podcast. So it's been a very very long time. Um, I've also worked in radio, so I'm, I'm used to the idea of the broadcasting solo medium, but it's just, you know, nerves sometimes get the best of you. But I hope I've kind of explained what you're in for in my, in my view and my attitude about this. You know, I like I said, I, I love this business and I love fans of this business, but I just I look at things a little differently, and I hope to show you that um, with this. Now, I should also explain how this show is going to work. Um, this show, in a weird way, and you'll, and if you're a fan of this particular podcast that I'm about to mention, you'll understand when you see kind of how it's organized, is in many ways kind of in a fashion inspired by Paul F. Tompkins, the Pod F. Tompcast, in that I'm going to introduce the show every week. I'll give you a little, call this a monologue, if you will, 
Um, and then uh, the plan is, what I'll do is I will watch Raw, SmackDown, and on occasion a pay per view. But let's be—I'll be honest with you, folks. I'm a—you know—I'm a working class guy. I can't always afford a pay per view, but sometimes I get access to it. Sometimes I'm lucky enough that there's a place I can go watch it, or I've got a friend who's watching it. You know, it, things can happen. So. That'll happen. I'm an everyman. I hate to put it that way because it sounds kind of cocky when you say it of yourself, but I am an everyman. And, you know, I, I don't want to uh, get your hopes up that I'm going to have in depth analysis um, because that's one thing you can't expect. With that Pod F Tomcast kind of concept, uh, the show will be divided up into sections. We'll have this intro here, uh, and then in a mo- few moments, I will cut to. Uh, my discussion of this week's episode of Monday Night Raw, which I recorded literally minutes. Actually, I'll be lying. I'm going to record it immediately after this. I've attempt- I attempted to record it before this intro, and it just was not going anywhere. Um, but the standard will be that I will watch the show and then immediately come on here and record my thoughts at that moment. So you'll be hearing sort of my ever-changing thoughts about the business and how things are going with stories and, and, and the actors, if you will, um, throughout the week and, and on a sort of a time-based basis. So you'll hear an intro, and then you'll, you'll hear how Jeff was feeling about this on Monday, and then you'll hear how Jeff was feeling about this on Friday night. And then you'll get a final, some final thoughts, a few news items that I feel are kind of interesting to discuss, and some final thoughts, and that'll be your show. And we'll be coming at you every Saturday night for, the, at the very least, the next 13 weeks. So I do hope you'll continue to listen. And uh, do you have your continual listen as we start off with our first segment? So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's talk about this week's Monday Night Raw. They call it Stormy Monday, but Tuesday's just as bad. All right, so with that little uh, interstitial, whatever that would, would have been, I actually still don't know. I haven't edited this yet, obviously. Um, it's time to talk about Raw. This is for the Monday Night Raw that aired on January 31st, 2011. Now, as I said in the intro, this is not going to be an out-and-out recap. This is not what this show is about. This is about sort of t- sort of talking points about the show and about how things uh, – how the events in the show affect what will happen in the future, th- where I think things are going, predictions, where I wish things were going. As this is the Writers Wrestling Podcast, I will go ahead and say – and I don't mean to toot my own horn, but you know, I've watched this show – WWE with people who've never watched the show before, and I'll watch it, and I'll say something about, you know, where I think something should go or what should happen, and when something happens that is sort of, you know, benign or just, like, bland or, or repetitive, even people who've never watched the show a day in their life, the example I'm, I'm using in my head is uh, my co-host on both the other, two, on the other two podcasts on our family of podcasts, Mr. Nick Melton, is, you know, he'll turn to me and he'll say, you know, your idea was better. So I'm I'm kind of going to go on that. Like, I'm not going to... As I said, I'm an optimist about this product, so I have, you know, a lot of faith in the writers, bookers, whatever you want to call them, of WWE, but sometimes I feel like they take some weird directions. However, the first thing I want to talk about this week with regard to Raw is something that I think they're doing right. Uh, I call this section Two Unlikely Challengers, as I put it down on my... I have a bullet point list in front of me, so you'll have to excuse me if some of this sounds a little bit blocky. But I want to talk about two unlikely challengers, as I'm calling them. One is actually currently the number one contender for the WWE Championship, and the other is a fellow who uh, I have gotten into some hot water with the legitimate wrestling media for stating has a future as a WWE Champion. But we'll start with the man himself, uh, the WWE Hall of Famer, Jerry the King Lawler, who as of this past Monday, winning the Raw Rumble, uh, is the number one contender to the Miz's WWE Championship coming up the uh, the, uh, Elimination Chamber pay-per-view on the 20th. Um, This is a very exciting thing because, you know, we had this storyline with... uh, 
with Jerry Lawler start. Um, and it's it's been very kind of low-key, but it's building and building, and it has a very natural progression, and that's something I really dig. Um, is it started, of course, with that you know preparatory TLC match with The Miz for the WWE Championship about a month and a half ago. And that was an amazing match. Everyone, uh, it's a pretty much of a majority, a pretty good consensus in the internet wrestling community. That was actually a really fucking great match. It was exciting and and, you, and it was unexpected and and you know and and it wasn't that we had didn't have any faith in Jerry Lawler's ability to still entertain us in that way. It was just you know who would have thunk, if you will, you know. And I mean, he, I mean, you can't beat the magic of a Lawler punch. There's nothing like it. It's hard to describe. You have to see it, and you've seen it if you're a viewer of the show. It's just, it's so straightforward, and you just, it's got impact to it. And this is a man who's in his late fifties, early sixties, and and he's still putting on a show. And 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 if I may say something that sounds kind of cosmetic and dickish, but he looks a lot better doing it than Ric Flair has in the past decade. So I'm just saying, it's it's interesting. It's it's a very interesting time. And I got to tell you, like whoever came up with this idea to have Jerry Lawler be the be the challenger for the title at any point, I want to shake their hand because I had no idea who would have ever thought they would have been able to build this so quietly and so like low key, so well. Like it's just, the, the pacing of it is so good to the point that now we have him challenging for the title, and you can actually believe that it's it's feasible that Jerry the King Lawler could be the WWE champion after the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view. Now, the fact of the matter is, let's be honest with ourselves, he's not going to be. Um, I mean, I love WWE, and I love this story, but but there's no way in hell we're going to see Jerry Lawler carrying the belt into WrestleMania. It's not happening. You know, we all know that we're headed to Ms. Cena, and that's fine. But the mere fact that we're going to headline a pay-per-view with this is just beautiful. And I tell you, Lawler has earned it. You know, I mean, listen, we... I'm not sure a lot of us had a very mixed relationship with him when in, in, in the uh, in the Attitude Era and then the years after that where he was just, you know, this old man horn dog, you know, this guy, very loud, very shrill. And to be fair, in a lot of the commentary recently, which, you know, com commentary on WWE is a thing that's a very sticky subject because it is it is constantly coming under fire from the internet wrestling community in many ways legitimately so because, let's face it, you know, a lot of the time it becomes more about the stupid little you know, bitch fights between Matt Stryker and Michael Cole and Jerry Lawler, then it becomes about what's what's happening in the ring. Now, as I've said, this is a stage show, but if you're going to have a stage show that, you know, the inherent part of it is that it's supposed to be a sport, don't bother yourself. I mean, you'll, you're, you're never going to hear, and this is going to show how little I know of sports or, or whoever's doing sports these days, but you're never going to hear Al Michaels and Frank Gifford, how old am I, um, <laughs> have an argument about, you know, whether one of them likes uh, the Cowboys more than the Redskins, you're never going to hear this. This is not like this is. It, it, it's supposed to be impartial, but that's also the beauty of the WWE is giving these commentators these personalities. But sometimes they overshine, if you will. But I'm missing the point. The point is this: Jerry the King Lawler is going for the WWE title at the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view on the 20th. That is awesome. I think it is. It's just my opinion. My opinions do not reflect the opinions of listeners or people who aren't me. But, you know, that's that. So that's exciting, and, you know, he's still got it. Like, he can put on a hell of a match. And just, I would have never, like, when I will tell you, when that first TLC match happened, I was like, God, you know, what? how amazing would it be if they followed through on this? And, and as much as an optimist as I am about this show... I was so moved, if you will, to see that, holy shit, they are, actually are going to follow through on this. So, you know, good on your writers. 
Now, another good on your writers goes to uh, the, the development, the character development, the progression of the next man I want to talk about, the second of our two unlikely challengers. Um, I'm speaking, of course, about current WWE Tag Team Champion Santino Morella. Now, I realize that this is going to sound like a joke, and in many ways it is a joke, um, but it's not really anything you can dance away from. I'll tell you a bit of a story. I don't recall, I don't remember which night it was. Um, I, 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 this is how bad my memory is, and I don't, I'm just off the cuff here. I'm not going to go look it up on any website, but, but, you know, when, however long ago it was that we had, uh, CM Punk attack John Cena on Raw and start this whole thing they're going through with the new Nexus. You know, I was listening to a, one of the most reputable, if not the most reputable, uh, internet wrestling radio show. You know what I'm talking about, and I, I love this. These people who do this show, I think the, the, what they do is fantastic, and I'm a big fan of their work. Um, so I was a listener whenever um, they would let non-subscribers listen. Um, I, I I don't pay for that. I, um, with all due respect to them, I think that's stupid to pay to make people pay even a moderate fee of like 4.99 a month to listen to. That it's it's not that it's a bad product. It's just that I th- I think it's weird, and I think a podcast, a free podcast, is a is a far better format. I'm not saying that I'm doing anything better than they are, but yeah. So anyway, I sent them an email. That they take emails and phone calls on that show. Uh, I sent them an email um, that night, one talking about how uh, the the night before that CM Punk attack, where I said, you know, the way CM Punk was doing commentary during that match with with Cena. You know, it's, I get the feeling that we're about to see Cena Punk. And they were like, I don't know about that. I think we're more likely to see Cena and whoever else it was going to be. Cena Miz or whatever. And then the night, next night, steel chair the back. So I'm just saying big ups to me. And, um, and they gave me my props as well. They sent me a message and they said, you know, how about that? You were absolutely right on that one. The other thing I predicted in that letter I sent those folks... Um, was the fact that, you know, I've been noticing, and I'm sure a lot of you have been noticing, that, you know, Santino Morella, while he is at, at root a comic relief character, is becoming a formidable competitor. And not just because he's a tag team champion, and not just because he's got Vladimir Kozlov at his side, it's the fact that they're starting to, you know, lessen the use of him as just this stupid throwaway comic relief character who gets, you know, cr- you know crushed by, you know, Mark Henry or whoever the big guy is at the time. Now he's a legitimate competitor, showing real technical skill in the ring that is very exciting to watch. Now a lot of people have said, you know, this has always been who he was. He just got, it's the matter of, it's the kids. That's the problem with this TVPG product. It's the kids that make the decisions. And so he became, you know, Jar Jar Binks. That's a bad example because, you know, who who likes Jar Jar Binks? But the point is this, um, and that's a phrase I'll use a lot because I'm not that creative with words. Um, The point is this. Santina Morella, I think, has a legitimate future as a possible WWE champion. And here's where I'm going with this. You know, a lot of people have been saying for a long time, and I agree with this statement to to a great extent, um, that The Miz is sort of the heir apparent to the the the, the fanfare and the character and the, the fan love of The Rock. And I can definitely see that. The man's got charisma to boot, and, you know, he's, he's, gonna, he's, he's the WWE champion, for God's sake. He's going to be a big deal, and he is a big deal. But Santina Morella, like, you know... You can't lie to yourself. There are nights on Raw when Santino Morella gets the biggest pop of the night, and that can't be disputed. You know, and that's something that I think they've begun to take notice of. And I think, in addition, you know, we're in kind of a transitional period with WWE because we know backstage, you know, Vince is is kind of winding down and he's thinking about, you know, leaving the business down to to a younger generation. And the big talk right now is that Triple H will be the man he hands it over to, Paul Levesque, as it were. 
because, you know, Stephanie wants to be a stay-at-home mom, and Shane's over with USC, so it, it's got to be somebody. And, you know, Triple H is a guy who's, you know, he knows the business. He's been in it. He's seen what happens. He's seen what's successful. He's seen what sucks. I think he knows what he's doing. Now, I don't know if he's in that position yet, but I feel like, you know, there's a definite change in the wind. You can feel it. You can see that things are happening that are different. And Santino Morella is, I think, a great example of that. Like I said, you know, not, not even three months ago, he would have been relegated to a fucking dance-off in the ring with, with Vladimir. And now he's a tag team champion with him. And they are, while well, they are still doing, you know, some comedic segments, that, that tea with uh, King Sheamus was one of the funniest things this show has produced in a long time. And, and you know, but beyond that, he's still a legitimate competitor. The Cobra, ridiculous a finishing maneuver as it may be, it's got a, a fan base. A move has a fan base, which is rare. You know, I mean, yeah, RKO, Stone Cold Stunner, Pedigree. I mean, every. I mean, when you can get a move, and especially one that is as ridiculous and implausible as the Cobra, to be not only accepted from like a kitsch standpoint and we have people cheering for it, but for the fact that people will accept readily that it is an illegitimate finishing move that can knock somebody out long enough to get the one, two, three. You know, that takes some work, and they've done it. You know, Santino, he's a comic character, but, you know, in many ways, let's face it, The Rock was a, was a comic character, and look what all he achieved. And I'm saying Santino has a future. Like, I, like, I gotta tell you, I, I watched The Rumble last week, and I won't lie to you, I got very excited when it got down to uh, Alberto Del Rio, he's standing in the ring, and I remembered that Santino was outside the ring. I was like, oh, shit. It's about to be, you know, an edge situation where he's going to roll up and finish this. And the, and, the, and the thing is, at that moment, it felt justified. It felt like this makes sense. Santino, let's face it, is, you know, one of the most popular people in this company. It's not a matter of, you know, I realize that, you know, there are so many different factors that go into pushing someone to main event status. And there's so many factors that go into to pushing someone to a championship. But the fact of the matter is, people love Santino, and he's not that bad in the ring. As a matter of fact, I think he's better than we actually know because he's been stuck in this comic relief rut for so long. And I think now that he's a you know he's a tag team champion, and we've seen him do legitimate things, he's on his way. You know, he's been an Intercontinental Champion before, and, and let's be honest with ourselves, that was a weird time. You know, um, this when he came into the business, you know. There was that couple of years where titles sort of stopped mattering. Let's be honest with ourselves. And it wasn't like our choice. It was the writers. They just sort of stopped giving credence to these gold belts and now some silver um, belts that, you know, have been in the business and have been the hallmark, the championship, the, the gold, the MacGuffin. It's been everything these people, uh, you know, seek out. And they became just props. You know, they were nothing more than props to, you know, facilitate big storylines. And now, you know, I think title is starting to precede storyline again, and that's a great thing. Um, and I think Santino could be a, someone to be, like, the great indicator of that. You know, like I said, comic relief, but he's fantastic in the ring. He tells a good visual story. And I want to see what they do with that. Now, I'm not saying it's going to happen this year or next year, but I'm saying if they keep him going where he's this legitimate tag team championship competitor, we could see Santino Morella with the gold, the big gold, in the next couple of years. And I stand by the fact that I look forward to that being a thing that happens. Um, I know it's a controversial statement, but that's that. Now, next on the list of things I want to talk about uh, is I want to talk about uh, <laughs> the 2-21-11 promo that we all saw, this very gothic, old west, you know, trench coat, 
uh, it's raining and then just you know b- fire burning two twenty one eleven. Now the immediate in- immediate guess is that this is indicating that that, that you know, February twenty first two thousand eleven, which is a Monday night, which means he would be coming out to Raw, um, is the return of the Undertaker. Now we've all heard stories, of course, of how Mark Calloway is. You know he's getting up there and he's you know his body is just he's been through a lot and he's, he needs to kind of wind it down. And if he is, if he's coming to Raw to wind it down, that would be awesome. I wouldn't, I would welcome him. But there's also some interesting rumors uh, swirling now about the possible WWE acquisition of Sting, Steve Borden. You know, can you imagine? You know, you know, Sting uh, is a fella who he's never been in WWE. He's avoided this all this time. But there's all this talk about you know they want to put him in the Hall of Fame, and you know he needs to kind of pay his dues to get into the Hall of Fame. Which you know, you know, say what you will about that. But the point is this. Who's the other guy with the trench coat? That's all I'm saying. It's not Seven. It's not the return of Seven, you know, creepily peering in windows and floating in looking like Uncle Fester. This is – we have two legitimate possibilities. Now, I think let's be honest with ourselves. The more likely scenario is The Undertaker, and that's fine. And also considering, you know, we always heard about, you know, one of the upcoming WWE Studios products is going to be this gothic western starring The Undertaker. And if this is the setup for that, I'm on board. I'm totally on board with that. But more than anything, I just I just want to say how much I love and I'm glad they have brought back, even for this one occasion, off off stage pre-produced teaser promo for someone's return or someone's arrival. It's something that I think is sorely missed in WWE today. You know, like I mean, we I mean you can think back on some great ones. You can think back on you know the the Save Us Two Two Two, all those uh, you know code uh, promos for for Chris Jericho's return in uh, 07. You can think about. You know, the uh, I have the uh, three-disc DVD set about the career of Mick Foley in WWE, and you have all his promos when uh, Mankind was coming to WWE, where he's just sitting there in that, you know, dank David Fincher-esque, like, sewer pipe, you know, like, you know, clutching something and rolling back and forth in the fetal position and saying crazy shit like that. I love that, and I hope that, you know, I hope they bring that back you know, full time, you know, because while there are things like NXT and, t- you know, Tough Enough's coming back and people know the business well enough that they can know when someone's about to come out of develop- developmental territories and come up to the big leagues, you know, it's still interesting when they'll take the time to promote somebody. Like the last person we got this for was Alberto Del Rio, and look at this man now. He just won the Royal Rumble. He's about to headline WrestleMania. It works, and it gets and it gets the fans interested, and, and you know, Let's face it, there have been some failures, Kazarni, let's be honest with ourselves, but the point is, you know, it's an exciting way to do business, and as a person who loves this show when it gets kitschy, when it gets real, when it gets uh, sort of cinematic, uh, I love it, and I hope we see more of it. So who's to say who it is? More than likely it's The Undertaker. We've also heard reports that there are some, like, local stations in the city where Raw will be taped on uh, February 21st, suggesting that, you know, The Undertaker will return, Um, but still, how about it? You know, I like that a lot. Um, another thing I want to talk about, um, I know that this is uh, it, it's a surprise to a lot of people. It was a pleasant surprise for me, and I'm enjoying the hell out of it. I want to talk about the love triangle, if you will, love square, though technically triangle, because you know there are two people on one point of the triangle, um, of the Bella Twins, Gail Kim, and Daniel Bryan. Now, <laughs> I, I realize that, you know, it, it, actually, no, 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 I just got to say this. How fucking genius is this? You know, like... Uh, Daniel Bryan, people love him from the Indies, Bryan Danielson, as it were. People love him. People love what he does in the ring, great technical work. And he, but the fact is, you know, he's not, I mean, Michael Cole makes jokes about it, but it's kind of true. The man doesn't have, like, presence or charisma, and he needs something to kind of get him started. And there's no, 
I, I couldn't imagine a better way than, than to do this. I mean, bringing out the Bellas did seem like a ploy because the Bellas are, you know, you know, Raw's go-to, hey, let's put these pretty things next to this uninteresting thing and it'll be interesting. Which, more often than not, if you're a person like me who kind of hates being played to that way, it doesn't work. But it worked wonders for Daniel Bryan. And now, of course, we have the addition of Gail Kim, who's been pretty much off-screen for the past two and a half months or so. And now she's more relevant than she's been since her return to WWE. That's exciting. Like, you know, I mean, we've the one of the most maligned things in this business right now is the state of women's wrestling. And I absolutely agree with a lot of the people who, who malign it. You know, it's it's not the way it used to be. I mean, it's hard to get back to the era of the Trishas and the Litas and the, you know, and uh, the Sables, if you will. But, you know, the fact of the matter is, you know, it's a different time. And I guess we're... <laughs> It's all about making the best of a bad situation. You know, we're dealing what we're dealing with right now is this era where, you know, female wrestlers are not hired based on talent in indies or aren't hired based on, you know, be wanting to be in the business. They're just hired models and models who, you know, vaguely trained to be wrestlers and the results are often mixed. There's no disputing that. But when you can like as a person who watches this show um as a you know, scripted stage piece. You know, if you can give me a legitimately interesting character or give me somebody that to care about, their style in the ring doesn't matter. Now, like, you know, Kelly Kelly, let's use her as an example. Yeah, she's she's adorable. There's no disputing that. But the fact, that this, the fact is this, you know, she's not the best in the ring. But she's always kind of had, and it, I mean, it certainly has, it has something to do with her personality, but she's always been able to of capture the audience's attention, not just visually, but from sort of an emotional standpoint. Because she's, you know, she's young. She's very young, and you don't want to see this young person get hurt, I guess is the way I would put it, you know. And, and, and you know, so if she, Kelly, uh, as an example, if she goes on to do something great, then great. But, you know, it's, it's a different time, and we kind of got to stop holding on to the Trish and Lita era, which was amazing, and just kind of get used to, uh, the way it is. And so something like this Bella's Gale, Daniel Bryan situation is amazing. There's a lot been said about, you know, there's a reason why the writing is not as strong as it could be, or there's a reason why we don't see so many people, why some people get relegated to like, you know, superstars on WGN is because there's too many people. And that everyone always says, you know, even back in the day, Crash Holly had storylines, burger, burger. Well, and then, yeah, he did. Um, the writing was also better back then. I hate to be, that, that's one thing I'll be pessimistic about is, you know the writing isn't as good as it used to be, but it's getting it's getting back to something. It's a new beast. You know I've said for a long. And people always say you know the problem is going from TV fourteen to TV PG, and there and, and and you know that was a problem. You know, but the fact of the matter is they're starting to figure out how to use TV PG correctly. You know don't don't use it to pander to the crowd. I mean there's one thing I'm going to talk about in this bullet pointed list that did pander very much to. I can't even say pander because the fact of the matter is nobody really liked it or nobody really wants it. I don't know who they think they're playing to because I'm not even sure kids wanted it. Uh, we'll get to that in a moment. Um, but the point is, and I've got to come up with a better way to start to kind of conclude thoughts instead of the point is, and the fact of the matter is, it's my first show, people. Please forgive me. This is, it's a story, and it's a compelling story. You know, it's, here are these three characters, and the, I mean, you got to love the fact that, you know, when we had that first, you know, sort of stare down between the Bellas and Gail Kim, 
they made light of or pointed out the problems with the way they've been portrayed and treated. You know, we had Gail saying, you know, what, have you two been, two been bored since we didn't have guest hosts anymore? And they've said something about how she hadn't been on TV in a long time, and this is where you've been hiding or whatever. Like, that's great. Like, you know, make the best of a bad situation. That's, 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 that's when the show is at its best. Because the fact is, you know, it's, it is a maligned art form. It's a maligned genre of entertainment. And when you can make the best of a bad situation... There's nothing like it, you know, and this is a, a great thing that's happening. I look forward to seeing where this is headed. Just the mere fact that, you know, yes, we have the Divas Tile situation, which we're going to talk about that as well. Um, actually, I'm going to go lead into it right now. But, you know, we have a Divas Tile situation where, you know, last week at the Royal Rumble, we had Natalia defending against Lay Cool. Now, let's face it, Lay Cool are the most well-realized characters in the Divas division right now. Like, they are, I mean, they are characters, and that's one thing I love about this business, and especially like one thing that really gets my love for this show at its peak is when you can take a character and have them be so fully realized. I mean, Vicky Guerrero is like one of the best examples out there. Here's this woman who came in here um, out of nowhere. I mean, I don't know where she was. She, she's family, but she comes into this business not really, you know. She, we, who would have ever thought this woman would be, you know, a big part of, you know, main event world title storylines. This, you know, widow of the great, great Eddie Guerrero, how she comes in and the fact that she can get a crowd to boo so loud you can't hear over microphones just by saying, excuse me. That's amazing. And I love her for that. Like, I, that's one thing I'm going to go ahead and put out there. As an optimist of this show, I love everyone involved. I love every single character. I don't, it's, it's not a matter of, you know, I mean, yes, I like the fact that these are stories were told, and I know who I'm supposed to view as a heel and who I'm supposed to view as a face, but the fact of the matter is, these are all characters that I love because when they're when they're starting out, yeah, they're 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 building they're, they're, it, it's just it's like watching an acting clinic. You have these people who are starting out who don't know what they're doing or I mean they're good in the ring as athletes and as as performers, but they don't have that charisma or that acting, you know, Daniel Bryan being another good example to mention. And then you have you know, these fully realized people like Triple H and John Cena, I mean, they, and there's a reason why they're the legends and why they're the top guys. It's because they, they're the, I guess to put the best way to put it is they're the best actors in WWE. It's, it's sort of, that's how the hierarchy works. And, it, and the fact is, you know, when you watch this show the way I do, it becomes even more apparent. You know, you, if you can stop watching it as a fake sport and start watching it as acting, it opens so many interesting doors to the way you watch this show. So, so, so yes. After that massive digression, Lay Cool, Lay Cool um, are amazingly fully realized characters, and in that respect, they are sort of the best actors in the Divas division. Um, do do they deserve another title shot? No, they could have held their own and been interesting with doing something completely away from that over on SmackDown. They didn't have to come in and, and do this Divas title thing, but they did. And that could have been, I mean, had they put the belts on them again, I would, I would be kind of, because I really wish Natalia would have gotten to keep it longer, and I still do, as we all know what happened. Um, but the addition of Eve Torres, who, bless her, she's wonderful and she's a delightful person, but the fact of the matter is, her character is boring. You know, she's not the best actor. I mean, that little spat she had with The Miz where she randomly came out and kind of, you know, just insulted him was, ama was an amazing scene, but... Outside of that, she doesn't really have anything to recommend her. You know, she's beautiful. They they all are, but she's not interesting. 
And there's really no good explanation for taking the belt off Natalia, who is probably, I mean, the best way to put it is she's in the top two Divas performers in terms of wrestling ability on that on, on, in the company, her and Beth Phoenix. And you put it on Eve, who, while she is okay, you know, she's sort of a prime example of what I think is wrong with Divas wrestling, which is, you know... The there isn't really anything interesting about a clothesline. It's the best way. It's like the best sort of way to put it. That's the problem with the divas division. You know, a clothesline, and especially repeated clotheslines and repeated clotheslines that aren't landed in a believable way. They're not fun to watch, and you know that's 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 you know the, the sort of the general problem with the entire division. Now, in Eve's defense, she does have that amazing top rope moonsault, and she does have that standing moonsault that's, you know, fantastic to watch. But she's reduced to these very simple moves, and she's reduced to a very simple, you know, catalog of moves. And and it's not her fault. In fact, it's none of these people's fault that this happens to them. I mean, it's the writing. It is the fact that this business is not putting as much faith in the women's division as it used to. And, I mean... The fact is, it's, in many ways, they've kind of shot themselves in the foot by hiring models instead of people who grew up wanting to be, you know, WWE divas. They're missing the point. Keep hearing all these things about how Kong, Awesome Kong, Amazing Kong, whatever you want to call her from TNA, is about to move her way over to WWE, and that's going to be an interesting wrinkle. But in a business that seems to favor looks over talent, I worry that Kong's going to get buried. We all do, and we all have high. We all have you know faith. We all have you know optimism. We're all keeping our fingers crossed that this could be the birth of a new age, um, but more than likely not so much. Um, so, so we'll keep a watch on that. That could be interesting. Now, I was talking earlier about you know pandering to the crowd or pandering to the children and sort of missing the point. And I don't think you're going to find a better example of that than the. Out of nowhere, great Kali, Mark Henry, Uso's dance-off segment. What the hell was that? Um, you know, I put I actually put it on my notes here. I thought we were done with this shit. Like, I, I seriously did. While I dug the hell out of Mark Henry rocking a b-boy stance, I chuckled. I won't lie. No, this is not what we came here for. Like, I hate that. It was so ridiculous that we spent the, the first part of that segment, like, building up, like, holy crap, the two biggest dudes in the business. Well, not the two biggest dudes, but two of the biggest dudes. We had, And the fact that their combined weight was, what, 839 pounds? How do you say, oh, my God, that's an amazing athletic feat, and then five minutes later, they're dancing to cheesy hip-hop music? That makes no fucking sense in the world. You know, I wanted to see a match. Now, they kept saying, you know, they're they're unmatched, they're, or they're mismatched, rather. Ugh, just awful. And who did that entertain? I, I muted my TV for the vast majority of that segment, and when I turned it back up, the crowd was dead. Nobody wanted to see that. You know, just stop. Just fucking stop, WWE. It was such a weird anomaly. After a good two or three months of not doing that anymore, they just decide to do that? Is it just because Kali came back? Is it just because he's so damn popular with children? I mean, he was good and get smart, but still, you know, like, What? But yeah, and speaking of pandering to children, I guess this is my final point because I am starting to ramble and this is running a bit long and I want to edit it down for you folks. Um, The one last thing I want to talk about, even though I've already seen it before, but they finally aired it on television Monday night, um, is of course the trailer for WWE Studios' next film, The Chaperone. Oh my god. Uh, (laughs) I love Triple H. I love Paul Levesque. I love what he does in the ring. I love him as a fella, but the fact of the matter is this movie looks Awful. I mean, say what you will about Legendary, Knucklehead, uh, Marine 2 even. Say what you will about any of those. 
wow, what a fall. Like, this is like, it's like sub-Mr. Nanny. I mean, Jesus. Um, Triple H deserves, like, it's weird, that trailer they show, I mean, it starts so well. Him coming out of prison and, like, you know, I gotta make my life better, and then showing up at the door with his wife, and then the tinkly piano music, and you're just like, oh, fuck. What did you do? You know, like, this, if you're gonna put Triple H in a picture, you don't make him... You know, the comic relief, just out of prison dad in some weird pacifier Mr. Nanny knockoff. You you put him in Blade Trinity. Shitty a movie though that may have been. You put him in Blade Trinity, and in that case, he works. You know, that's just nitpicking, but seriously. And just, oh, what a mess that looks like. And, and such wasted talent. Like, I'm so sad to see people like Kevin Corrigan and Yardley Smith involved in this shit. It's just, just awful, as someone once said of the Gyllenhaal twins. So that's all I've got to say about what I saw during Raw. We ran long, and I know it was rambling. Once again, this is my first episode, so I do hope uh, you'll forgive me and uh, and roll with me uh, into my discussion of SmackDown, which will be coming up shortly. Uh, but that's it for Raw. Boom. Alright, my god, that was rambly. And now it's time for a look at this week's SmackDown. Here we go! Alright, it's still Friday, February 4th. And uh, it's time to take a look at tonight's SmackDown. Uh, we're coming off about 44 minutes ago. It just went off the air. Um, and I'm, I'm just having listened to a few pieces of my Raw recap and realizing that uh, I'm going to need to do some format changes. So if you'll bear with me, I'll get through this pretty quickly. Also, mainly because I don't have as many talking points uh, with regard to SmackDown. And, and to be fair, that will be a pretty common occurrence. You know, as a person who watches this show for story and for acting, if you will, and for the writing, as it were, the, and being that SmackDown is the more action-oriented show, I'll have less to say. But uh, considering, as I said, that I'm maybe having to uh, look into a format change, uh, this may be uh, different next time. But I suppose we should press on and uh, talk about the talking points I do have. Uh, first off, very big news coming off of his very surprising, or if you were reading in the trades, which were very spoilerish, uh, return. Booker T has joined the commentary team on SmackDown. Um, very exciting to see him back. It was very nice to. Uh, I knew he was coming back to the company. Um, of course, we knew he. We saw him at the Rumble. We knew he was coming back to. Uh, I heard that he was coming back to coach for Tough Enough. Had no idea of this commentary job. So very excited about that. Um, and as for his first night on the job, I got to tell you, I, it was it was it was refreshing. It was enjoyable, but he did have a bit of a John Madden thing going, where it was it was a lot of pointing out the obvious, but you know, with that Booker spin, entertaining. But you know, if he throws the ball and the receiver catches it in the end zone, that's going to be a touchdown. Yes, I stole that from Frank Caliendo. How dated is that reference now? Anyway, uh, but that's beside the point. Booker T, welcome back. Good to see you, sir. I'm serious. I don't really have that many points to make, but I have one. There's one here that'll go out pretty quick. A new arrangement for the theme for the core. Uh, considering there's been a lot of uh, <laughs> the fans have not been too kind to the core theme. Um, 
I think it's passable. This is a really weird. I mean, this is a strange thing to nitpick about, but it's sort of right in my wheelhouse. Uh, it's passable. It's it's not as no, it's not as good as the Nexus theme. We're not gonna. I'm not gonna dispute that, but. But uh, it wasn't. At least you know it had a hook. Like the way it is now, it's it's it really does sound like they're just trying to turn the core theme into the Nexus theme, and that just seems pointless to me. It was. It, it's better to have that like identifying thing. If I may talk about music a bit, you know, you, with Nexus theme you have that bump, bump. You know it's coming. It's just that that really hard drum beats and and uh, you know, is it Twelve Stones or Finger Eleven. I think it's Twelve Stones. Finger Eleven would be more balladish, wouldn't it? And then this is you know. You know, hearing somebody scream, I'll be your end of days, that's pretty, that says something, that evokes something, that says, oh shit, something's about to happen, as opposed to just really low version of the Nexus theme. So, uh, I'm sure that was fascinating. Uh, finally, and this, this one is actually pretty interesting. You know, I did spend the, a decent amount of the Raw recap talking about the state of the Divas division. It's, it's always a hot topic with people, uh, pundits of the industry. I will say this, uh, and I mean, it's been something that's been building over the past couple of weeks, so it's very exciting to see um, tonight. Character development for Kelly Kelly, which is actually, yes, it's very refreshing, darker, less bubbly, I put his comment here. Um, and we've been seeing the transformation a little bit. You know, we saw the, the building of the relationship between Kelly Kelly and Drew McIntyre, um, which, as we all know, was a storyline originally intended for Tiffany, uh, Drew McIntyre's real-life wife, Taryn Terrell, who was fired. We all know the story. Um, and I guess we're distancing ourselves from that. Uh, I, but, I mean, there's you can't talk about this new sort of character development without uh, mentioning Drew McIntyre. He facilitated this without a que without question. And I, and I really appreciated, uh, what was it, last week? You know, when uh, we, had, we had, or was it two weeks ago? Whenever it was, we had Kelly Kelly and uh, Caitlin versus Laycool. They come out. In the middle of their entrance theme, and just start kicking the crap out of them, and I and and and, and I really kind of dug, you know, Michael Cole stating the obvious. You know, they're playing him as just the ultimate prick, but at the same time, every now and again, this nugget of just incontrovertible logic comes out of his mouth. We have things like, you know, back when um, when Miz cashed in his money in the bank the way he did, and you know, got it, and you know, they kept talking about how you know what, what an opportunist he was, and everybody kept speaking of him in that negative tone. And Cole was the guy who's like, you know, to be fair. Every single person who's ever won Money in the Bank did exactly that, and it's true. Even when they were faces, everybody did it. So there's you can't really you can't really uh, condemn one man for doing the same thing that you you applauded one man for doing another. Um, even in terms of a fictional storyline on a pro wrestling show, um, that's just me, I guess. Um, but but yes, um, definitely sort of a change. But what's interesting is what is this? We have this all culminating in like the final scene of tonight's show. Uh, Kelly Kelly is fired by Vicky Guerrero. Now this is WWE, so we'll see her again in a few weeks. But I don't really see the purpose of this entirely. I want to. I'd love to see where this is going. I. I mean. While it was interesting to see uh, divas being used in such a high-profile position tonight, uh, the, the it just seems so abrupt and unexpected, not illogical, not necessarily. the The backstory we're trying to we're trying to give this whole Kelly and Vicky conflict is a bit flimsy, but you know I'd, I'd like to see where that was going. And and now that she's quote unquote fired. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen. Is she going to go back to Raw? Is she going to just come back in a few weeks? 
it's not, you know, it's WWE, so it's nothing to get, like, gravely concerned over. We'll see. What it, there are, you know, maybe three or four standard scenarios that will follow, and we'll see what happens. That's what I'm saying. you got to be an optimist about this show. If you spent all your time, you know, kvetching, and you're just creating stress for yourself as a viewer... You've got to start with a you got to start with a clean slate, positive outlook, and with a positive outlook, tonight's show was pretty great. We had some great action, um, and here's the thing about me: uh, I'm a man who has a lot of stresses in his life. It has it's played some games with my memory, and the sad part is this show went off the air now 50 minutes ago. I have forgotten a vast majority of the matches we saw tonight. Admittedly, they were all qualifying matches for the Elimination Chamber pay per view. So, I mean, they aren't necessarily forgettable, but they aren't entirely, you know, instrumental. You know, we know where we're going now. We know who's going to be in those matches. And they were all pretty entertaining. Um, I enjoyed uh, I enjoyed uh, Kofi Kingston and Drew McIntyre immensely. I did quite enjoy that one. Um, I, I dig seeing Drew McIntyre. Like, you know, here's the thing about Drew McIntyre. You hear a lot of pundits on the, on the, in the internet wrestling community uh, talk about how, you know, he's he's fallen far from, you know, being, you know, Vince's chosen one, you know, and, and we don't, and I, I actually have no confirmation whether or not that's sort of a, you know, one of those real life made fiction situations, or if it's just one of those things for just for the storylines, but regardless, you know, I've, I've always uh, really appreciated Drew McIntyre, and to be, to be quite frank, I can't really put my finger on why, there, I, it's, you know, as a guy who who's big on cinema, I love something cinematic, as we mentioned with those Undertaker, presumably Undertaker, uh, return promos. I appreciate something cinematic done on a live stage. So Drew McIntyre's entrance, which a lot of people say is almost single-handedly responsible for how little the, the crowd cares for him, I think it's brilliant. You know, I love a well-placed song in a movie. If you're a listener to the OUP or Cinemantics, you know this very well. I love a well-placed song or well-timed song. And the fact of the matter is... As somewhat cheesy as it is, we get that slow buildup, and then as soon as it starts to rock out, out comes this fella ready to kick some ass. It's beautiful. I love it. You know, I, I would say this. You know, outside of the you know the cinematic quality of it, I do see where some people are coming from. Where it's like, you know, he hasn't earned that kind of you know anticipation. You know what I mean? Like they talk about the the one reference I keep hearing is the um, really really long. Uh, entrance theme or variation on the entrance theme of The Rock back in uh, I think it's 02 or 03, that long one where it's all those helicopter shots of Los Angeles and the big like tunnel with the thing going through that they ended up kind of using for Chris Jericho at one point. But you know, you, I mean, you can't blame an entrance theme for for killing the buzz on a guy. And also another thing in his defense, you know. I guess I am going to ramble about Drew McIntyre for a moment. You know, in his defense, you know, when you there's a difference between you know SmackDown and Raw. Obviously, SmackDown is the taped show, and they can edit together uh, crowd reactions as they so see fit. But the thing is, when you see Drew McIntyre, whenever he's made those sporadic appearances on Raw, the crowd there is definite crowd reaction. Well, I wouldn't call it a massive pop or anything, and I wouldn't even call it massive heat. He's they recognize him. He is respected. He is he is in, he's appreciated. People enjoy him. They just don't really know what to make of him, and especially right now where he's kind of in that tweener role where we don't know where he's going to you know completely stay heel or he's going to go face because there was a second there where things were interesting. And and then they kind of pulled Kelly Kelly out of the equation, and now she's quote unquote fired, as I mentioned. So we don't know where that's going. 
what else was I going to say? I, I I do want to point that something out about that the the audience reaction it was tonight. I, I you know since I have this forum now to discuss this, I really started paying attention to the way crowd reactions are edited in on SmackDown. You know, it's you can't deny you can tell when it's an edited in crowd reaction, and 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 it really was apparent during the Drew and Kofi match. You know, you can always tell when it's a fake crowd pop because. It, <laughs> The way I've come to re- come to view it is, it sounds like a hair dryer being turned on. You can tell when it's fake when you hear the sound of that hair dryer turning on, you know, and then you hear alleged crowd pop, you know. Um, and I mean, I like Kofi. I told you as you as I mentioned during the raw the raw segment, I I love every character on these shows. I love them all, and but you know, I can't dispute that some of them are more interesting than others. And the fact of the matter is, while Kofi Kingston is somebody they're really trying to push. I don't think he's as popular as they would lead us to believe. It may become a recurring thing I'll mention on this show, the hair dryer reaction. When you hear the hair dryer, it's them trying to force you to react. It's the writers trying to say, this is the guy you're supposed to be excited about. And while Kofi is very exciting in the ring, sometimes he gets a little spotty, as they would say. He Sometimes he relies almost entirely on really spastic, aero, you know, ac- aero acrobatic, whichever word you prefer, uh, maneuvers that you know sort of... It stops being about the competition and starts being more about, hey, look how high my legs can go, you know. Um, and I love Kofi, you know I do, but I'm just saying, you know, this, this is a thing that happens. So that got kind of rambly. Any, if I'm trying to think of if there's anything else I'd like to say about tonight's SmackDown. I will say this: someone needs to, and I love, and I, I adore Vicky. You guys know I do, um, as I mentioned in the Raw segment, because because she's just such a well developed character. But the but the fact of the matter is, someone needs to tell Vicky Guerrero. When to scream into the mic and when to speak like a normal person. Because we get it. She's crazy. She's loud. She's brash. But when she's screaming to the point of screeching into a microphone, you know, you're kind of missing the point in favor of just the screeching, you know. Um, so that's just, that's an, that's an aesthetic thing. That's not really important. Um, but it is something I noticed. There isn't much more to say. I'm glad we saw the, as I said, the. We assume Undertaker return promo show up again. I'm glad that it's you know an across the board you know multi platform promotional idea that will culminate on on Raw on February 21st. Uh, is it Sting? We don't know. It's not. It's not Sting. Let's just go ahead and put that on the table. It's not Sting. Um, if Sting is going to show up in WWE, I just feel like there'd be a bigger. I, f- I feel like. It'll be either if Sting really truly has signed with the WWE, which would be awesome because you know I grew up watching him um, when he was on WCW. It would be exciting. There's no question, but I don't see them doing anything like this, like any of these covert teaser promos. I expect you know either just be told flat out this guy's coming, or he just shows up one night. I don't expect teaser promos. Um, so that's the thing that's happening. Oh, anything else? Um, we had some tag team action tonight. I should mention that. Santino and Kozlov versus um, Heath Slater and Justin Gabriel. That was an enjoyable match. I I don't know how I feel about the fact that now we're kind of getting to this point with the tag team division where it's going to be, you know, uh, Santino and Kozlov take on, you know, uh, two members of one of the, of you know, the, the group on the one show or the group on the other show, you know, and... Although I will say this, and this is, and I, and I absolutely think this, you know, of the, t- the tag teams they've culled from the core and the nexus. I appreciate that those are the two teams they picked. You know, I appreciate, I like the combination of Husky Harris and Michael McGillicuddy because, you know, the fact of the matter is Michael McGill- McGillicuddy is awful on the mic, as we learned in that, you know, 
you know, this is the beginning of the Genesis. This right here is the Genesis of the beginning of the thing that happened with the thing and the guy, you know. <laughs> oh, that poor bastard. He just, he can't cut a promo. Not yet, anyway, you know. He's not his father, um, and we're getting there. As a, as a performer, as a you know, an athletic performer, he's great, but you know, keep him away from the stick. And uh, Husky Harris, you know, with his punted head, you know, out of the equation now. But but if you have to pick, you know, but like I said, I'm glad. Like I love that combination, and I love the combination of Heath Slater and Justin Gabriel. Now those are two guys who you know they aren't too good on the stick either, but they are fantastic together as a tag team. So that's very exciting to see. As you might be guessing from the way this is going a little bit smoother or um, and the fact that I'm kind of just picking out moments, I've come to the realization um, over this episode, um, actually, you know what, screw it, let's, let's, let's move this over to, uh, to our final thoughts. All right, final thoughts for the week of January 31st through February 4th. I think I'm going to start off by saying a couple things about the way this show has gone. First, um, I want to apologize again for the rambling nature of the first two segments. This is, you know, it's, it's a first show into in this new way, and I'm dealing, you know, as I mentioned during one of those rambling speeches, um, you know, I'm... I am very different from the way the rest of the IWC, the Internet Wrestling Community, um, reacts to this business. And you know, I and, and, and we're kind of in an environment where optimism is frowned upon more like more often than celebrated. So you know, I, I realize that I'm probably that I've turned off a couple people with this, um, and I'm not going to apologize for that because you know I don't want you here if you don't want to be here. Um, I will say this though, you know. Uh, <laughs> I think I'm going to go ahead and put this on on the line here. I'm going to put this on the table. I think starting next week, I'm going to have to do something recap-like with regard to the segments about Raw and SmackDown. You know, it was a lot easier to do SmackDown. I guess one because it was. I think it does have something to do with the immediacy of delivery. You know, as I said, I I didn't get to watch Raw this week until uh, this afternoon. This is this Friday afternoon. I was actually out of town, which is. My, I picked a terrible week to start this show. Um, I was out of town for the first four days of this week, for the Monday through Thursday, um, and I didn't get to see any. I got to, actually I got to see the first ten minutes of Raw while I was aware where I was, um, and then I came home and watched the rest uh, today. Um, so that's a mistake I don't want to make again. I think I think being away from like like f- being four days removed from the actual event itself sort of su- sort of sapped my excitement. Because let me let me make no, make no mistake, you know when when it's Monday night or Friday night. There's nothing in the world that's more exciting to me than the idea that these shows are going to be on my television. Um, and But making me wait three days, it was my own choice. What am I saying? Like, I wasn't forced, but, you know, waiting three days was probably detrimental to the way this, this show went down. This, as you saw, the SmackDown segment went a lot smoother. Um, so, or at least I feel it went smoother. I wasn't as stuttery, and I felt better about it. Um, but yeah, I think what we're gonna have to do is next week. I think uh, there will be have to be some recapping. Nothing, not nothing too specific, because as I said, I'm not like I'm not about. I mean, when the action is good, it's good, and I will note that. But you know, I'm not I'm not in it for the action. I'm in it for the stories. Now, admittedly, sometimes the action does comprise the story, but you know, I'm not. I don't know the names of every maneuver in the book. I don't know, you know, massive, you know, multi-decade histories of like you know NWA or 
or Memphis Wrestling. I don't know any of that stuff. I'm a guy who's been watching this show for 13 years, specifically WWE programming, and I, you know, I only know that what they've told me. You know, I am a bit into the internet wrestling community, as, as I mentioned that radio show I mentioned uh, kind of offhand earlier. Um, I am a big fan of their home website. Um, it's where I get most of my wrestling news. I may have to cut down on that because I want, I kind of want to be. Uh, as surprised as I would have been before I started reading that stuff. I want to kind of give you the most genuine reaction I can as a pundit. So I think what's going to happen is starting next week, I think the segments are going to become a bit more recap-oriented. I'll at least have a rough list of the things that happened, a few comments here and there, and then we'll build from there. Because I, because while you know having a bullet-pointed list of talking points was good, I think it led me to sort of... A, it's weird. Like Being more organized makes me more disorganized. It's better to just let me... Let me flow, because clearly, as you saw, the Raw segment took like 38 minutes and SmackDown maybe 10. And I'd kind of like to keep this show under an hour on a general stage. So um, I will say this. If you've survived to the end of this episode, uh, congrats and bravo. And uh, hopefully next week you'll rejoin me. Uh, if not, remember this is a pilot. You know, the first episode of Community is not the best episode of that show. But there is a world of difference between the standard sitcom schlock that is the pilot of Community and the amazingness that is Episode 2. That's all I'm saying. Um, to use that example, that very recent example, um, you know, I'm not saying I'm, I'm not saying this is the community of wrestling podcasts. You, know, you get what I'm saying. You kind of you feel what I'm saying. It's also just very strange to be doing a show on my own. Um, I, I guess I said I'm very used to doing it with a... Uh, co-host. That is something I should mention just offhand, you know. There is room for um, guests and co-hosts. The, the plan right now, as I said, is to do this solo, but if the occasion ever uh, opens itself uh, that I might be joined by um, a guest to watch one of these shows and kind of join me in a discussion of the show, that would be fabulous. Matter of fact, I look forward to the possibility of uh, my OUP and Cinemantics co-star, Mr. Nick Melton, joining me for a discussion of an episode of Raw in the near future. So I hope that will be coming your way. And I, and I assure you, it will be much more fascinating than me just rambling about it for 30 minutes, which I hope will never happen again. I'm, I'm going to try to keep it short and sweet and less rambly for you folks next week. I'm even going to put a disclaimer on this episode, which you will have heard at the beginning of this show, um, to kind of apologize profusely. And uh, I'm, I'm going to encourage people to just go to episode two. Let's be honest. Keep it current and keep and keep away from the crap. That's that's very pessimistic for a guy who just spent you know an hour talking about what an optimist he is. But it's true. Anyway, um, what can I say about this? It's been a very interesting week. Um, coming off of the Royal Rumble, a lot of interesting developments. Alberto Del Rio going to WrestleMania. Um, Eve's the new Devious Champion. Uh, what 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 else we got? You know, Jerry Lawler kept facing the Miz. We got a lot of interesting things to look forward to next week, and and as this is the Riders Wrestling Podcast, I will you know well I will tell you is there anything I would change about where we're heading right now? Yes, uh, I, as I said before, I do not understand the logic behind giving Eve the Divas Championship. I don't. I, I like her, but I don't see why she has it right now. There was absolutely no logistical reason to take it off of Natalia right now. There was just no reason. If there's some sort of backstage spat that they're that the uh, the bookers or writers or whoever are having with Natalia, um, we don't know, but. You know, I it, it, that is one thing about this show that always bugs me. I don't like kind of I kind of don't like being held at the mercy of the backstage politics. I mean, it's inevitable that it's going to happen, but I don't like being held at its mercy as a, as a viewer. You know, as a person who watches this show as a written, staged entertainment, you kind of like to think that everything, like you know, there's a plan. 
I know it's not. I know a lot of this is just people flying by the seat of their pants, but at the same time, you kind of hope there is a plan in place. And when you when you consider that, once again, this is all just speculation and hearsay, but, you know, if there is something going on backstage and they were kind of, you know, backhandedly punishing Natalia, as they've been known to do superstars that, you know, step a toe out of line, I, I really wish that weren't the case. That's all I'm saying. Um uh, that if I can if I can say one last you know make one last rambling point before I close this out, um, it's this you know I one of the things that kept me um, one of the things that really was a big deal for me um, in the, especially the last five years or so was the Divas Division you know even past the the Trish and Lita era I was a very big I'm very big on the Divas Division not as just not as some you know wildly heterosexual male. Because that's not what it's about for me, you know. Um, I, um, I, I'm a big fan of, of, of a strong woman. I like, I, I like, and I like when a woman is portrayed respectfully and, you know, with strength and intelligence. And, and, you know, and that's why I, you know, you know, developed, you know, one thing you'll know about me if you listen to the OUP is that I, you know, tend to focus on one, you know, famous lady at a time. Um, you know, outside of this, you know, there's Karen Gillan, there's Emma Stone, but in the world of wrestling, you know, I always have one. And the, th- and the thing right now with the Divas division is there really isn't anyone. You know, I, I enjoy Beth Phoenix. I don't see how you couldn't. Um, and I think Natalia is cute as a button. But the fact of the matter is this. There's no Mickey James anymore, and she was my lady to watch. And the, it's that's the one thing. It's very difficult for me. It's not that I don't care about it, because clearly I've spoken quite a bit about it, but it's very hard to sort of put my whole heart into it when I don't have somebody to really, you know, uh, root for or get into. So that's one thing. So, yeah, I guess this ended as rambly as it started. Um, so once again, thank you for listening. Please listen again next week. And uh, and I apologize for how rambly this was. Next week will be a bit more organized um, and uh, and a lot easier to listen to. And, and, and hopefully at least half this length. I really don't want to go above an hour again. So I guess that about wraps it up. Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, <laughs> and um, I guess that's it. And I'll stop saying um next week as well, or at least I'll try to keep them separated from the big clumps of words. Uh, but yes, that about wraps it up. Thank you for listening. This has been the Writers Wrestling Podcast. I'm Jeff Headley, and I watch it for the writing. Good night. I'm Jeff Headley. Right now, I want to talk to you about the OUP family of podcasts. There are three to choose from. On alternating Fridays, you can catch one of two shows. One week is the show that started it all, the original, unoriginal podcast, where myself and my dear co-host, Mr. Nick Melton, chatted up about various entertaining topics, and every other episode discuss a noteworthy film in our best movie of all time sub-series. The next week, catch the aforementioned Nick Melton's Cinemantics, in which he and his guests, more often than not myself, discuss other noteworthy films on what he calls a podcast about movies good and bad, mostly bad. Two great shows, one great day of every other week, one fledgling online entertainment network. Plus, don't miss the show you were just listening to, the Writers Wrestling Podcast, every Saturday night. Trust me, it gets better. The OUP family of podcasts, helping you go experience seven days since 2008. There are three to choose from.